Hey everybody, I'm Nick Davis. Welcome to Simply Not Easy, the podcast about simple action steps to improve the journey of your life as I work to improve the journey of my own. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to Simply Not Easy. Out here at a Muscle Monday and happy Labor Day to everybody. Kind of ironically, not this year, but a couple years, two years back. Uh, one of my cousins, she actually had her kid uh, on Labor Day. So, different meaning of the word, but it all works out. Anyways, per usual, we're back out here on Muscle Monday. But today, we're not focused on necessarily a specific structure, a uh, specific muscle. Today, we're talking cafe au lait stains. What do they mean? What are they about? And sometimes people could defend, define this as kind of skin changes, coloration changes, um, birthmarks even. And again, this is not saying that if you have birthmarks or you have a cafe or lacing, that's a sign of anything particular. But it is a potential indication that hey, let's pursue with some caution. Let's have um, let's have something else on our mind with this as well, and seeing how it correlates to anything else with the rest of the case. I'm talking about this because I uh, recently had opportunity to work with who I'd say is a, uh, a strong recreational athlete. You know, they played some sports growing up, um, kids in his mid-20s. And just because it does a lot of lifting at the gym and everything, COVID happened and really became a lot more sedentary. What happened? Well, they started sitting around a lot more, lifting a lot less, developed some back pain. And, you know, he's... Uh, he was like all these other kind of people where, you know, his job changed drastically. He's used to being on his feet back and forth every now and then, still somewhat sedentary, but he didn't have the gym outlet and he was sitting a lot more at home. Kind of a poor setup. So we definitely addressed that, but he was having some back pain, kind of midline back pain around kind of upper lumbar, lower thoracic, the way he was initially describing it to me, along with a burning sensation down part of his leg. Um, not skipping the thigh, but burning sensation through his calf and going into his foot in like a burning numbness area. I said, okay, sweet, let's check it out, see what's going on. Went through a full exam on him and interesting findings for him. Number one, that's why you always take people's shirts off or at least expose the area of pain, right? Because you get different information through this. Ended up, right, he had a lot of mobility restrictions, a lot of tightness, but the area he was having pain in the spine very common presentation, hypermobile, too much movement at that area, and sensitive to palpation there for sure. With mobility, segmental mobility assessment. Didn't necessarily spread anywhere else down the leg though, so that's good. So initially I was looking for places of entrapment, well, big functional movement patterns, you know, flexion was a lot more of an irritant, flex, extension felt good until he got very end range and add some irritation right at that spot for himself. So, priorities for me to look at was looking at, hey, are there points of entrapment? What's the relationship of this leg foot pain tingling to his back pain? So look for points of entrapment. Nothing was hidden in the lumbar spine. Nothing was hidden in the hip piriformis area. Uh, no major sources of entrapment down the leg. Sweet, found that in my back pocket. Some good stuff, real good, pro- good prognosis with that. Straight leg raise, definitely limited, definitely more so on that side, definitely reproducing uh, lower extremity pain. Now, we said there was a lot of hypomobility in mid to upper thoracic, 
which is going to be common for a lot of people in his demographic, hypo, hypomobility in the mid to lower lumbar spine. So again, kind of a big area of hypermobility with some hypo otherwise around, surrounding it. So a lot more stress demand on that area. His seat, kind of seated slouch posture was putting a little bit more of a flexion moment on that uh, T10 area. And again, it was only pinpointing the back for him. And here's the really interesting part with that. It was pinpointing the back and right on that area, kind of central T10 level, he had that cafe au lait stain birthmark in that area. I did not go into detail with him about, hey, have you had that, you know, since birth, have you had this da 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 da, right? I got no reason to freak him out. You know, if four visits in, there's some red flags, something going on, something I need to be worried about, then yeah, sure, I'll bring something up along the way. But as far as I was concerned, there's nothing excessive to be worried about. Let me see if I can treat this kid without him freaking out. But having an ounce of caution in my own mind along that pathway. Because again, cafeolase stains are a potential sign of sympathetic nervous system changes that we've got to be cautious for. Now with these, right, I mean, we're talking signs of, you know, could there potentially be a very low level spina bifida from birth? Who knows, right? I mean, there can be a small percentage of these that are very, very low, undiagnosed, probably will never functionally impact people ever again. But at the T10 level, we look for what the influence is of, could this be part of the lower kind of foramen canal closing that might have not fully closed at birth? causing different sympathetic changes. Now, there are no hairy patches or anything like that. So again, another good indication. But definitely something that even if it was a pain area for a hypomobile area, it was stiff, I would proceed with caution. I would not manipulate that, you know, especially if I could get him better in other directions. But was able to manipulate him safely, doing lower lumbar and some made up with thoracic without intervening at that segmental level and being a lot more detailed in my pre-manipulative holds, making sure everything's good to go, freed up those mobility restrictions. And then it was a lot of movement coordination, a lot of movements that were placing, aside from just seated, a lot of movements placing stress on these areas as we got them back to lifting. But we're going back to that straight leg raise, right? And the foot thing. So there are no sources of entrapment, right? So if there are no sources of entrapment, they were saying, hey, let's get that nerve moving, but let's get it moving in relationship to what the irritability is. And potential entrapment sites. So he had a relatively kind of mild irritability. So I'm saying, sweet, let's crank on it today. Well, just during the examination process, doing some straight leg mobilization that I did and then have him teach, tie him how to do it, he gained about 20 degrees just in that one session the first day. So I'm like, sweet, dude, this can be no problem for you. Keep doing this, here's how often you should do it. Um, for him, I had him do it every hour, about 10, 15 times give us some recovery for him to understand the concept of on and off like a light switch, not a sustained stretch. Although we want to have latency with this, right? Or we want to respect latency, I should say. So if he's having these symptoms and it's kind of lingering around after he's in that off position, it's not really off. That's like you turn off the light switch, the light's still on, right? You got to wait. So he was good about that. He came back next time. Foot pain was almost gone. Time after that, completely gone. So I didn't even touch that. I just kept him working on that for himself. Excuse me there, wow. So, we're doing that, right? Then, as we got him back into squatting, deadlifting, even eventually got him doing a little bit of bench press for a very specific reason, 
but working on a lot of kind of core stability things. We got him wrapped up in some, we did a standing rotational stability test. He was way weaker resisting a right rotation. He was weak in both and poorly coordinated, but weak resisting right rotation. So what do we do? We train the crap out of that for him. Because again, he has a hypermobility in that area that he's bending and twisting excessively from. We've got to reduce his stress on that. And he wants to get back to the gym. So we're hitting the lifts that he normally likes to do as we build him up from a very, very low level. So we were having him do squats and deadlifts, goblet squats and kettlebell deadlifts, fairly low weight. Got him doing like a 25 up to a 45 pounder with a rotational wrap around him. So that way he had to, for the wrap to maintain the function, he had to then resist that rotational motion. So if he's gonna attempt to do it correctly, he's gotta be able to have that core engage in the rotation pattern using the anterior oblique sling and posterior oblique sling to be able to stabilize himself in that manner. If he can't do that, well, that's just a failure and we've got to reduce that load. So we are able to get that for him on a load that he could tolerate the whole time and make sure he set himself up for success as he was building up from there. So we got him doing that. We load him up on some bench press too for the pure reason, how we, it was, he was a fun guy to work with. Like we got him doing some mace training stuff, doing some overhead swings same thing as the mace mo momentum went over his head to the right from right to left instead of left to right he had a harder time controlling that core for stability doing a bench press same thing not immediately but as he fatigued right that right side dipped down into a little bit of a horizontal abduction out of the horizontal abduction the pec controls because he didn't have any kind of right oblique activation for himself to stabilize there his comment was, wow, I didn't know we needed a uh, core activation for the bench press. And so I probably could have kept it simple and said, oh, just, just activate your, your core a bit. And maybe that would have gotten him better instead of being so specific, but it requires specificity on the other ones for a deadlift and for a squat. So I just wanted to stick with the same story. That was an easy way for him to communicate. If I'd literally have him benching, I'd be spotting him. And I'm like, when he loses it, I'm just like literally tapping his side, like, man, come on, come on, come on. I'm just like freaking tapping that oblique. And he's like, okay, you got it, right? And then we took film of him too, so he can take this home with him, see before and after for himself, so he knows what he needs to work on. Uh, then we loaded that bench press up, lighter weight, but instead of doing typical weight, we loaded up with bands and kettlebells. So with the bands and kettlebells loaded up in that area, what happens is that bench is a very unstable oscillatory load. Now, we didn't have the privilege of using any kind of earthquake bar or anything cool like that, but a typical benching bar. What happened? That pattern came out immediately. Not just during fatigue, not just was it hard to control for the shoulder stabilizers, but it automatically, we have studies to show this, activates a higher EMG electrical signal conduction to the muscles for the abdominal stabilizers. He wasn't able to control it with increased demand. So we eventually got him to do that to do it better, but the perfect thing with this case for this athlete, for this person, is this is a great example of your failed test, your impairments that you tested, right? For him, mobility and stability in certain specific areas become the treatment. Oh, you're tight as heck in this area? Guess what? We're going to make you looser to kind of make that better able to move throughout those areas, putting less stress on the areas that already move too much because your body just focuses on the overall movement, not where it comes from. Okay, sweet, you failed. You have really poor control of anti-rotation in the body. He, he's okay at saying, hey, let me just rotate, let me do it. But when he's met with external forces, 
through himself and he has to resist it. Eh, pretty darn poor in that. So what do we gotta do? We gotta control it. We gotta bring it back to life. And that is absolutely what we worked on with him. Bringing that control back in, honing it, specifically resisting right rotation at approximately the level of T10. Now, could I have gotten segmental specific for him and done that? Yeah, totally. Could have re-educated the little muscles and everything, but I skipped a step with him. Why? To see if I didn't need to. Nothing else more simple or complicated than that. I wanted to see if I can work on his full body movement patterns, would it improve? And for him, it totally did. Now let's say I'm one, two, and then that doesn't work. He's not getting the cue, not understanding it. Or even within a few minutes, like 10, 15 minutes, and I might keep on pushing. Or I might say, hey, that's enough. That's all we got, that's all we need. And let's move on to something different that actually works, that actually clicks with you. So I might need to get him on the table, do some very specific kind of rotation, gentle locking, get his multifidi active in the area, do all these little things to re-engage him. For him, he didn't need it. He was good to go. So if he's good to go, why force the issue? Why make it over academic? Let's just do what works and do what works really well for him. So again, great person to work with, great example of kind of a simple course of care for physical therapy. Find out what the problem is. Understand any precautions that were in the area, specifically the cafe or lay stain, and that it was very pinpoint. Had it for him to be detailed, I reconfirmed his pain location multiple times. He pointed to it, pointed to it, pointed to it. The middle of about T10, approximately, where or where that spinous process is. So maybe it's more like the level of by that, like T8, T9, something like that, right? But approximately in that area. And then from there, right? What do we do? Confirm, confirm, confirm. There's no reason for me to instill fear in him. Proceed with caution for myself, but then go throughout the exam. If he's not improving, like he's not getting these concepts, then we might have to educate him differently. But he got it, right? He controlled his own stability requirements. All that means in that area is he has a little bit more requirement for stability than he otherwise would have to. That's all we're dealing with. That is literally all we're messing with to make it happen. So again, empower the athletes. See what they can do for themselves. Direct them and guide them back into the thing that they love with understanding what's going on. Hopefully that was helpful to y'all. I know it was a great process for me to go through um, in educating him. And again, being very direct. Here are literally the two things that we're focused on with your training. And here is a very explicit way through film, through going over things, through examples, and how it relates to what you are doing, how you need to get better for performance, and what the limitations are and why you're having pain. Because all those things relate to each other. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day out there. Enjoy Labor Day. Simply, not easy.